In the 20 plus years of helping people plan for the cost of retirement and long-term health care, we've identified one consistent theme among families and caregivers. People don't like to talk about money. Life care affordability planning helps families who are facing long-term health issues and increasing health-related expenditures to make better informed financial decisions during a time when there are so many unanswered questions. It's time to face this topic head-on, address the emotional charge of discussing money, and discover practical ways to bridge the gap between a long-term health care plan and your ability to pay for it. Hello and welcome to Life Care Affordability Planning with Tom West and Arvet Reed from Signature Estate and Investment Advisors. Two podcasts ago or so, we talked about what it means to thrive when it comes to life care affordability planning. Today, I know that Tom and Arvet are going to be talking about the psychological hurdles when it comes to people thriving. Good morning. How are you guys? Good morning, Eric. Good Hello. morning, Arvet. Hello. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so so Tom, we're we're getting into some psychology here. What do we what do we cover? Sure. Well, today what we're going to be letting our audience know, you know, thinking back and about that concept of thriving. When professionals hear uh, different ways that 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 seniors message where they're coming from, uh, we thought it would be helpful from both a healthcare and a financial psychology standpoint. To give our listeners some idea of, of, of what some of the typical uh, expressions of resistance to change, mm. you know, what they sound like, and what we kind of think they really mean for different seniors in different situations that they're in. And I think by unpacking what these phrases sometimes sound like, we might be able to together explore some opportunities to be able to move forward and have seniors maybe become a little bit more self-aware and a little bit more accepting of help. And I think probably hmm. the, best, the best way to jump in is to give you the first example. One of the things that we hear a lot in our life care affordability conversations, both in terms of when we're speaking in front of large groups or when we're in individual meetings, is when seniors either right out of the gate or as an expression of, of resistance, they will say the phrase, listen, I, I just want to keep making my own decisions. Mm -hmm. and, and, mm. and we're going to talk a little bit about, I want to keep making my own decisions and, and kind of what we think that that means. Part of what we've discovered in our process is when people say, I want to keep making my own decisions, this is an expression of really a fear of losing independence, mm -hmm. of losing the ability to self-direct of losing agency right. in, in, in different things that might be coming. And it's, it's useful just to think about how do you get, how do you engage, how do you, how do you get a senior to be able to feel heard when they use some resistance language, like I want to keep making my own decisions. And I'd kind of put that to, to our vet. When, when you hear uh, from the senior housing and healthcare side of things, people saying, listen, I, I want to make my own decisions. I want to self-direct. Tell me a little bit about how professionals in senior housing and healthcare hear that and react to it. Right. Because it really, it's an objection, but sometimes it's okay for the person to feel that way. You just have to surround them with the choices of knowing that they're not, something's not being taken away, like their independence isn't being taken away. So an example would be like, yes, you know, 
we agree that it would be great for you to keep making your own decisions. But how about we consider that if something changes and you're not able to make your decisions, then what? So it's really about flipping. So maybe I want to be able to make the decisions as long as I'm able to, or I want to be able to make my own decisions as long as they continue to reflect what I want. Mm -hmm. So work with them to change the phrase a little bit um, and, and expand upon the circumstances where making their own decisions might not be the best choice. Right. And, I, and you said something that was important, which was, can you take a, an objection like, I want to keep making my own decisions and shift the framework that we're collectively understanding about that to why don't we agree on what are the new most important things? Right. What are the values that are most important? What are the ways that you want choices in the future to express who you are and how you want to interact with your family, your friends, the world in general? Mm -hmm. And what we found is by being able to say, listen, I want my decisions under all circumstances to take care of my spouse first. Right. And to hold fast on expressions of legacy, which is the way that we're using money and wealth to express love and affection to future generations. We want to make sure that those priorities are always embedded mm -hmm. in any decisions that are made. And even if I can't make them myself, I'm looking for some assurance that in the event that there are some transitions, that those important things are always held sacrosanct. If if somebody needs to share the baton and decision-making down the road, um, that whole concept, Eric, I think a lot of times unlocks the resistance that's usually associated mm -hmm. with the fear of losing independence mm -hmm. and brings people a little bit closer to the space that maybe they can accept that maybe things do change. And as long as people's priorities remain articulated and recognized, we sometimes can bring families a little bit closer to a self-awareness and to accepting uh, perhaps some help that they might need. You know, and this could be as simple as a food choice. Right. You know, it doesn't have to be something right, right, right. so big and lofty. Mm -hmm. And, you know, from the years of working in senior housing and healthcare, and this is why I like this topic, because I feel like this topic addresses so many different audiences, right? Like the people that are actually making decisions about what's going on in their healthcare, you know, circumstance and the senior housing and healthcare professionals that are hearing these objections. Um, but it could simply be a food choice. Like someone likes their a specific ethnic food type and the right. idea of leaving home and going somewhere else to them means I'm losing my independence of eating what I want because I have to eat what's on their menu. Right. We can, everybody can overcome that. Yeah. There's solutions for that. Yeah. Right. I remember when when um, I had a conversation about uh, my kids with my wife within the last week, and we were we were laughing a little bit about my son being somebody that even since he was a little kid, he was like, "I'm going to do this myself." Yeah. Okay. And you know, I was I was laughing at his expense, and my wife looked at me and she says, "Like, well, you know, that's you. You, <laughs> you know, you 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 don't like anybody telling you what to do ever." Right. Under any circumstance. And and this this idea of I want to keep making my own decisions, you know, rings especially true to me 
who where we're self-directing and mm-hmm. like I'm not really interested in your you know your suggestions about what I want to do. I, I'm going to be self-directing. I I can imagine that this I want to keep making my own decisions is the most likely way that I'm going to express express resistance to change as as I get older and I might have some transitions. Right. Um. I think that the idea of what are the things that are important to you, Tom? And you get to direct the definition of what's important. Right. So you're still mm-hmm. in control of, of the establishment of priorities. When we built out some of this language, you know, I, I was trying to reflect internally, what are the kinds of things that people might say to me that would make the, give me the better, best ability to be able to overcome that resistance internally? All right. You know, and Tom, something else that seems to come up quite often is people just really don't know where to start, right? Mm. And so it goes back to the idea that they're in the middle of having to make all these decisions and maybe this is new to them. And so rather than make a decision at all, they just was like, yeah, I don't know where to start. So I'm not going to do anything. Mm-hmm. And what do you think that, what do you think the, 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 the psychology behind that really is? I think the hurdle is the aversion to the complexity of it all, right? Right. There's so much coming at you that you're trying to digest. It's too complex. And so you have to get over the psychological hurdle of hunkering down and not doing anything. Like, I don't know where to start, so I'm not going to do anything. And let's remember what we know about uh, brain function under stress. The idea that, you know, your bandwidth to be able to handle new incoming information gets, gets, gets compromised quite a bit. And this this aversion to complexity, uh, maybe in a less stressful situation, m- might not exist. But right. when I'm when I'm totally focused on taking care of somebody that I love and what's going to happen, I might really only be able to handle one new thing to think about, as compared to, you know, what about the diagnosis? What about the money? What about the my relationship with this person? What about mm-hmm. communicating with the family? I mean, it, and they, by the way, keeping track of 10 medicines at once. Oh yeah. Right, right, <laughs> right, right. Absolutely. So I think that you, you hit it on the head, the aversion to complexity. So, so, so what do you think, mm-hmm. how, how do you, how do you break that down? Tell me what senior housing and healthcare people do to say, I don't know where to start. What, what is a, a typical response? Well, it's funny, like from my senior housing and healthcare years and from doing the life care affordability plans that we've done, one of the things I am constantly telling clients and prospects is you just got to take one step at a time and don't try to digest it all at once. And then back to the personal time, same thing when my mom was sick. Like I just had to tell myself one topic at a time, one step at a time, and then it's not so complex and it becomes a solvable problem that's right in front of you. Right. You know, you, you eat an elephant one bite at a time. Yeah. And I think that, that, that sometimes celebrating and encouraging any action is a way that professionals and family can be supportive. Like, listen, you know what? You tried to tackle a small piece of one part of the problem today, and that was the first step. And, and we need to celebrate and applaud you for being able to step up and do that. And it can be as simple as moving. Right. Right. Or it could be as simple as just, you know, making a choice about a piece of inventory that you got to get rid of. Right. I don't know what to do with my stuff, so I'm not going to do anything. Right. I want to move or I'm ready to move or someone's, you know, whatever, but I don't know what to do with all my China. Right. Right. I think so. <laughs> and, you know, it, we, we I, I know in previous podcasts we talk about, um, I, I've talked a little bit about inventory management with stuff that Beth and I inherited when when my in-laws died. And 
it took a while, I think, for us to develop the awareness that, you know, we really don't necessarily need all this stuff. And when I was thinking about awareness and self-awareness, um, I was thinking about another psychological hurdle is what happens when people, you know, feel defensive and say like, I, I still make good decisions. Mm. You know, the idea of, you know, I, I shouldn't be, I shouldn't have to share decision-making because I'm still me I'm still and capable. I, I'm still capable. And, and, you know, by going down this path, somehow I'm admitting something about myself that, that maybe I'm not ready to. So how do you go about, you know, talking about, talking through objections, like I still make decisions and that is shown as resistance to uh, a, a, an offer for help. I think part of that is the support system, mm-hmm. right? So when people aren't aware that they're not making good decisions, they're going to think they're making good decisions, right? Right. So the idea that you have a support system, so maybe when you are more aware, you can say, when I get to the point that I may not be making the best decisions, I've got people around me to help make sure I'm doing the right thing. And that that can go all over the place. That could be timing of medication. It could be choices of eating. It could be driving. Right. And I think let's remember that, you know, some of the stuff that we've talked about, uh, you know, at length is the impact of dementia. One of the realities of dementia is a lack of awareness. Right about, you know, your ability to make good decisions. Like I, I have no capacity to recognize that maybe I'm not firing on all, on all cylinders. So I think that the idea of, of investing in your support system, Some, personal mm-hmm. and professional, having articulated these new things that, that are most important to you, uh, that is, I think, the way that you unpack that resistance to, you know, a lack of self-awareness, like making sure that even if the, if the person isn't self-aware, that the support system is aware of what constitutes a good decision, getting back to the things that are most important. Well, and that's, we've talked a lot with clients about the um, AARP safe driving, right? Right, right. That's a great Perfect. example of the- I'm su- still a good driver. Yeah, I'm still a good driver. I could drive. But that's when the support system tells you when you're at risk. Right. Right? I it, think that's right. I think it's good. So tell me a little bit about what do you think, Arvet, when you hear, listen, I'm not going to do anything right now. Uh, I'm going to do something when I see the first sign of decline with me or with a family member. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm not going to do anything now. I'm going to wait till I see a wheel getting a little wobbly. Procrastinate, procrastinate, procrastinate. Right, right, right. It's the, I don't really want to deal with what's happening. So I'm just going to put my fingers in my ear, head in the sand and procrastinate making any decision. Right. And that's so, that's so related to self-awareness, which makes that sort of a logical extension. But, but I'll do, I'll do something when I uh, see the first sign of decline. How do you engage somebody that that's expressing that? Well, then you need to go back to the idea of surrounding yourself with people that are going to be able to make sure you're safe and make sure you're making the right decisions and be proactive, help you, help you see that being proactive is actually better for you, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And not waiting for the disaster or the crash, but to be back to the driving analogy, but to be proactive, take the AARP test and they, during those tests, they give you skills and things that you can do to be proactive and things that you can do right now, just in case. Right. 
something right. might happen. And what, what's, what, what rings to me out of what you said there was the in case something happens. Right. I think that if, if when somebody is expressing, I'll do something when I see the first signs of decline, th- at least there's a window to communicate to that person that maybe something might change. change. Okay? Yeah. And if we can acknowledge that maybe something might change, well, maybe we want to take a particular action before options are taken away. Right. Given that things might change. Right. And right. I think that's the language and the psychology to pursue uh, to work through that. You know, one thing that that when I'm when I was considering, you know, I'll do something when I see the first signs of decline, you know, you can roll that up into into a bigger objection or a bigger psychological hurdle when somebody just says, yeah, I, uh, none of that's really going to happen to me. Mm-hmm. You know, all, all all my parents and everybody in my family died of a heart attack peacefully in their sleep at age seventy five. Yeah, and and you know, I I know myself, and that just isn't going to happen to me. Being overconfident. That's right. Being overconfident. <laughs> that's right. I've had no experience with uh, a failure in health, therefore it's it's unreal to me. And and so, where do you go for 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 that kind of an objection? Oh, to unpack that kind of a hurdle. Yeah, I think it also goes back to the the planning and the idea that none of us know what the future holds. And so this is a perfect, perfect example of why the life care affordability plan gets people opening up about things they normally wouldn't talk about because you're not committing to any decision in this process. You're just talking about the what ifs. So if you go with the idea that we don't really know what's going to happen and so let's be realistic about potential options that might present themselves down the road if something happens. Right. And then that way you're that whole idea of being overconfident, nothing is going to happen to me. It's all hypothetical. And then people will actually open up and have that conversation. Right. Because it's not really about what's really happening to you. Right. And in my experience has been, you know, the idea of of externalizing that meaning, right. you know, nobody that needed long-term care help for five years thought it was going to happen to them. Right. Like 100% of people that have needed help for a super long period of time, zero of them said like, oh yeah, that's going to be me right. b- before it started. I've always found that that kind of an approach actually doesn't work really well. Yeah, The idea is like, well, I'm not talking about other people. I'm talking about me. So, so when I try to approach folks, it's, it's trying to find things in their own life story that have surprised them, that that hit them sideways, that right. they had to react, that they had to make different decisions. And what I try to do is, is I try to look forward in our imagination in somebody's life about, you know, this might be just another chapter in the same story. And there might be something like when you lost your job, or when mm-hmm. your kid had the illness, or when you you know it, you know so too we might be surprised in the future, and we might have to make good decisions. And based on what you've learned in the past, when you were surprised, so too you can make good decisions in the future. And the idea is just allowing for we really don't know exactly what the future holds, right? And expressing some empathy with, you know, if we knew how long somebody was going to live right now, Mm -hmm. if we knew how much help they were going to need right now, this would all be pretty academic. But as, 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 as people who are living through all the different chapters of their life, how have you dealt with uncertainty and surprise? And, and, and we as professionals, how can you plumb some of that personal history 
to project forward, what kind of lessons in the past have you learned that might be applied to the next time you're, you're, you're surprised? Right, right. And even though you don't, people don't always want to talk about what happened to other people because they don't relate, when you say things like, have you ever had a friend or known someone that has, you know, had dementia or had a surgery that went wrong? And just let them start talking about that story about somebody else. Then the, then it becomes their story. It becomes their story. And then it's not you lecturing on what may happen. It's them telling you what happened to somebody else. Right. And so it becomes a little bit more um, tangible for them. Right. And it, it allows, like with everything that we learned about person-centered care, it allows us as professionals to go to where they are, are. as compared to try to pull them to where you want them to be. Right. And I think that that type of an approach can make some significant difference in, in, in being able to, to establish trust and, and to be able to, to embrace the priorities that, that, that the client is trying to express. And I, for me to just to kind of wrap up what we were talking about today, it's important to know that there are psychological hurdles that people are thinking that may not come out of their mouth, right? right. So we've said, well, what if a person says this? What if someone says, um, I'll be fine. This is not going to happen to me. Or what if someone says, I don't know where to start? The percentage of people that actually say those words and the percentage of people that actually think those words, right? There's a lot more people thinking it than saying it. So as the professionals in senior housing and healthcare, we need to be more aware of what these hurdles people are trying to overcome as they're asking us for advice at the same time. Yeah. And my closing thought is let's remember how this life care affordability conversation really started. When seniors that are facing some changes in health will say something like, I can't afford it. Right. That that means a whole bunch of different things. That doesn't necessarily mean they can't afford it. It might be just an objection that really we have to plumb a little bit more of these psychological hurdles to figure out what is keeping somebody from moving forward to accept the help that they need. Mm -hmm. And what our mission for today's podcast was to go a little bit beyond um, and, and, and try to zero in on what might be the root cause of some of these expressions of resistance. Mm -hmm. So thank you very much, everybody, for uh, for listening. Eric, That that's that's our ideas for today. Yeah, Tom and Arvet, this was fantastic. This is definitely one of those podcasts that people should go back and listen to again, because there was just so much stuff to chew on and, and think about and, and really decipher and, and have questions about. So that leads me to my question. If they do have questions about this and they want to reach out to you, how do they do that? Well, you know, affordlifecare.com, um, we've got particular uh, pathways for families, for professionals, both financial and legal professionals, as well as senior housing and healthcare professionals. And uh, we would invite you to go to the website and, and, you know, find your path, find out what the other paths look like. But we've built our website experience in such a way that, that folks that are looking for more prompts and more information along these lines would have it at their fingertips. Fantastic. Thank you guys so much for your time today. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. And thank you all for joining us today on the Life Care Affordability Planning Podcast with Tom and Arvette. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Tom and Arvette come out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This will make it much easier to share these podcasts with your friends and family. And think about these questions. Think about these things that they talked about today, the hurdles. Is there somebody in your life that you know that you need to share this podcast with so they can start to break down these things and really start to think about them with their own family. Maybe they have some parents that are 
kind of throwing some of these objections up and they need to be able to help walk them through that. Um, share it with them. That'd be great. Again, thanks for listening today. For everyone at Life Care Affordability Planning, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Views and opinions provided herein are those of the individual speakers. All content is informational only and is not intended to be an endorsement or recommendation of any particular investment strategy or other course of action. Consult your tax, legal, and financial professions concerning your specific situation. Securities offered through Royal Alliance Associates Incorporated, member FINRA slash SIPC. Advisory services offered through SEIA LLC. Royal Alliance Associates Incorporated is separately owned and other entities and or marketing names, products or services referenced here are independent of Royal Alliance Associates, Inc. Life Care Affordability Plan is a marketing name for SEIA. Services related to evaluating the client's health care treatment plan are independent of and not endorsed by Royal Alliance Associates, Inc.